go back, if you would, on the computer, would you go back to the night of worship slide, please? We just uh, do this really quick. I know we're going to put out, um, we've got something that came out via email or is coming out via email, but uh, Tim Ninehouse is a good friend of mine. We started a church back in 2004 together in Huntington Beach, and um, I like to tell Greg Laurie that I broke in his worship leader for him, and uh, so he now leads for Greg at Harvest in Orange County, uh, does the Harvest Crusades and stuff, but Tim used to have the number one indie rock band in Orange County for several years, a band called Nine Ball. He's a great worship leader. Uh, I'm a recording artist. Uh, Teresa Jones will be there. Um, if you guys uh, have heard, Teresa Jones leads uh, one of the, uh, she leads chapel at the middle school here at Valley Middle School, and, and she used to work with people like Usher and Queen Latifah and Jennifer Hudson. She'd done some amazing things. Our band's going to be there. The Valley Christian High School band's going to be there. And so I would encourage you to come out. A night of worship, we're gonna, all the things that Yvette said, all the fun things to do and ways to contribute to our fundraising, but also really a night of worship, a night that we can spend together worshiping. And so I would encourage you to come out to that. Um, we got some good friends. I've got some good friends coming out, and it'll be a lot of fun. Acts chapter 4, if you guys would turn there. I want to say thank you to Amaudi for jumping in and covering for me last week. He thought I was kidding when he asked what to preach on. I told him, Jesus, I thought that was a good answer. So that's a solid answer for me every week. All right. If you were with us last year, we spent the last three months or so of the year studying the book of Acts, looking at, it's actually, I always say that wrong. It, we weren't really studying the book of Acts. We were studying the church inside of Acts. We were looking at the church and asking questions about the church and, and really a bit of compare and contrast. Like when we read about the church in Acts and then we look at our church with, you know, kind of a with clear eyes today, and when I say our church, I just don't mean like our local church, though that's most relevant, but the church in America, right? When we look at those two things, where are they the same and where are they different? And we found significant differences in Scripture with the church than what we see today. And so in that kind of run up to Easter, we want to spend some time looking at some of those things some of those distinctions, some of those important things that we took away from our study. And if you were here last week, we picked up in Acts 3, and it was the healing of the, the, the lame beggar, it often says, or the man who couldn't walk. And so I want to give you kind of a main idea today and just ask the question, why is the church today not what we read about? Right? When we sit down and read about the church in the New Testament, we, see, we all see disparities. We see differences. We see what the church looked like then and then we see ourselves today, and we see differences. So we see all the disparities. What causes the differences, and what should we do about it? So what are some of the problems, right? What are some of the things that are so uniquely different then that maybe might help us understand our role as the church today or how we should live and breathe and be the church today? And so we don't have time to cover them all, but I figured we can catch some highlights as we prepare ourselves for Easter. So Acts chapter 4, we'll pick up in verse 1. It says, As they were speaking to the people, and the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So this is still the same scene, right? If you were either a part of the Acts study or you've been a part of the community groups during the Gospel of Mark, one of the things we do when we look at Scripture is just what is the context, right? What's the context in which the passage is set? And this is the same context as last week. 
a man who was a beggar, but he was lame. He couldn't walk. And he, he has been healed, right? The apostles have gone by and they heal him. And as he is well now, when he's standing next to them, this draws a crowd. And, and when the crowd draws, Peter uses this as an opportunity to preach the gospel. And the, the people, the crowd, hear the gospel. And this draws more people. And now we have religious leaders joining the setting. And so that's our context for today. The man who's been healed, Peter and John who are there, who have healed him, Peter speaking, a crowd gathering, the gospel being preached, and now religious leadership, not Christian religious leadership, but Jewish religious leadership, who opposed Jesus, who opposed Jesus in his life, and who now oppose the disciples of Jesus, like Peter, who is speaking. But in the midst of this, we get this, that the gospel promises, and I quote, in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. Now, that's what Peter is speaking about. He's talking, he's telling them that in Christ, there is a resurrection from the dead. And so not just that Jesus lived and died and rose again, though that's true. In fact, the next two times we gather together, Good Friday, we look at the crucifixion of Jesus and then the following on Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus, which isn't new for us, right? That's the message we talk about every week. That is our always message, not just Easter message, right? That Jesus lived and he died and he died for us. He gave his life for our sin to cover our sin, to reconcile us to God, that he rose from the grave to give us new life. See, the gospel preached today often kind of hovers around forgiveness of sin and a promise of heaven. But that's not really the gospel as we see the church in the first century, after the ascension of Jesus, begin to proclaim the gospel, right? As we saw it yesterday, as we saw it the week, I mean, not yesterday, last Sunday, as we saw it the Sunday prior, the emphasis of the gospel is always that Jesus is alive, and if Jesus is alive, that changes everything. And so fast forward 2,000 years, if Jesus is alive, not just resurrected because we say that and we tend to think of Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago, but Jesus as alive today, as humanly alive today means something different. That he lived in human flesh. That he came here because you and I have sinned and separated ourselves from God. And that in that separation, there is an eternal separation too. And that you and I honestly deserve that eternal separation from God because not only have we sinned, but we choose to sin. If you're a Christian, you're in the room. If you're a follower of Jesus, if when you get up in the day, your main goal is to follow Jesus, not something else. You're a follower of Jesus then you know the cost and the penalty of sin. And we still choose to sin, right? Right? Okay. For all of you that put money in the men's thing to cause it, you sin. No, I'm just kidding. All right, so we all choose to do things we know aren't wrong or, or we know we should do something and we don't do it. We know that, right? Sins of commission, doing wrong things. Sins of omission, doing things, not doing things we should be doing, Right? Because of that, Jesus came and had to live this life, right? God, who created, like Amadi said yesterday, or again, last Sunday, sorry, that the author of life would embody human flesh, that God became human. That's enough to blow your mind. 
that would live this life, suffer our struggles, endure our hardships, be hungry, be lonely, be tired, be those things, right? And then endure death. And I noticed that Amaudi just wrapped his head around that last week, but I've been saying this for years, like, I don't understand how the author of life can die. Like, I don't get it. Like, you exhaled, and humanity had life, and then how do you give your life? But Jesus died for us. As he was laid in a grave to cover our sins, he is also resurrected back to new life, but to life eternal. Right? David Brown, he did our scripture reading today, and he read from that one portion of Revelation that looks into the future and eternal, the, the kingdom here on earth for eternity, where there are no more tears, no more pain, no more sickness, right? No more cold flu season that's been killing me. No more COVID, right, that's ruined our last two years, right? No more pain, no more cancer, no more blindness, no more this, no more that, right? Forever. That Jesus rose from the grave to be the first of that. That Jesus physically, bodily ascended back to heaven. That he is alive in human flesh today, perfected human flesh today. That's what they're preaching. And in that gospel that you too will receive a resurrection, right? I'm 12 days into this stupid cold flu thing and still feeling it, right? You still hear it. I look, and this is dumb. This is, this is minor. This will go away, right? It's not like I'm battling cancer. I have a cold, right? But there will be a time where we don't have that. I will get a resurrected body. You will get a new body. That you will be made new forever without the brokenness of this world. That's the gospel they're proclaiming. That because Jesus lives, you live. In Romans it says this. Did you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, I've said this before. We, do, we typically do baptism by immersion, meaning you go all the way into the water, come all the way out, right? And so when we go into the water, say, I baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, die the flesh, arise in Christ, Right? That's the word, the language I've been using for 20 years of ministry, and it comes right here out of Romans 6, that we die to who we were and that we arise in newness because of Christ. And that one day, this will not just be symbolic, this will not just be a means of grace, but this will be a forever reality, that we will arise in Christ, that not just are we spiritually alive today, that we will be physically flesh alive forever here in a world without sin and brokenness. Don't think of heaven as far off or up there. Think of eternity here without all the ruins and brokenness of this world. He goes on, he says, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Then we will live forever like Christ if you are in him. We'll do baptisms on Easter Sunday. I know if we're looking at celebrating at least three. People have said, I want to follow Jesus. Then I want to die to this life, and I want to live for Jesus, right? And then I know that that's an inclusion to a family. And that this means forever, that I get to follow Jesus forever. But it starts now. 
right? That's the gospel these guys are preaching when given the opportunity because someone's been healed. So it goes on, verse 3. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. I want you to listen to how this is written. They arrested them and put them in custody. But many of those who heard the word believed, right? But, like, even in spite of the persecution of the church, thousands are coming to faith. Right? The church is growing and expanding. People are becoming followers of Jesus, even when the leadership of the church, and, and understand this, there is one local church on the planet in this moment. And the leaders of that church are being arrested for proclaiming a message of eternal life. And rather than people are like, I don't want any part of that. Like, I don't want to be arrested. I don't want, I don't. They're like, that dude just stood up and walked, and they're telling me a message of reconciliation with God, of eternal life, of joy, of peace, and they don't care about the circumstances they're in. They don't care if they get arrested. They seem to be filled with joy no matter what. I'm going to put this note on the screen for you. The early church expected persecution. Compare the church today enduring COVID was our lack of willingness to suffer what made us impotent and weak. Now, there's a bias. There's an assumption in there. Let me give it to you. The church over the last two years has suffered and struggled. When you look back over the last two years and you think about the American church, do you think of, hey, you did a stellar job in the midst of COVID? Or do you look at the American church and go, wow, you argued just as much as everybody else did? Like you were just as politically divided as everybody else was. You were just as unwilling to hear other people. You were just as willing to talk past other people. You were just as divided and just as divisive as everyone else. Because that's my read on the church over the last two years. And, and, and we're not exempt. When I, don't say, when I say the church, I'm not using some straw man of people outside the building. I mean us. That we were more political than faith-based and for sure, we were unwilling to suffer, struggle, or whatever. And make no mistake, we weren't persecuted. When public schools, which are incredibly liberal, typically, are closed down, and they closed down churches until the Supreme Court overturned that, you can't say we're targeting Christianity. Like, they shut down public schools. Buddhist temples got shut down, right? So it wasn't just us. It wasn't wasn't us, wasn't Christianity. We were not being persecuted. But what we were unwilling to do was we were unwilling to suck it up and endure hardship to rise above the issue and be better. Right? Masks never killed anybody. Some people wear them to work every day to be surgeons, right? Do I like them? No. Do I even think they were super effective? Probably not. But we made that an argument. Right, we argued and argued and argued and pushed and pushed, and we were divided. People left this church because of COVID decisions. COVID decisions not even made by us. The church didn't go through COVID and pass with flying colors. Did we survive? We did. Did we actually survive? Did we do well? Personally, we did. Like, you guys were generous 
We didn't have a single need in our church that didn't get met. Okay? We had people offer to help with needs that we didn't even use because we didn't have more needs. So, to your credit, right? But we were no less divided than the world that we live in. And if I were to critique the American church with a broad stroke statement that is, in my mind, true, is that we are more political than anything else. And that rendered us to not be a place where people flock to. And I'll tell you this, 20 years ago I was in ministry when 9-11 happened. And I remember the Sunday after 9-11. How many of you were Christians when 9-11 happened? How many remember church the following Sunday, right? You had to get there, get early, try and get a seat. Now, I know that they shut down in-person gatherings. But we could have been the place where people ran to had we been different. And for me, that's the thing that stood out so much that made me want to reassess what does it look like to be a church? Made us look at this book and look at the book of Acts and ask, like, okay, what are they doing and what did we do? They expected to be persecuted. We expect not to be. Bear in mind, we live in a country who gives us that freedom. That's good, right? But we expect the world to not push back on us. That's not what Jesus said. Let's pick up in verse 5. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name did you do this? So they asked Peter, by what authority did you heal the man? You've got to even hear the question. Like just imagine somebody in the front, where we heal somebody of a, a, a lifelong problem, and your question is like, by what authority did you do that? You can already see this is going south, right? We're not celebrating it. We're asking like, hey, who gave you the right? Okay, so that's where we are. Verse 8. Then Peter, and I don't want you to miss this, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and all the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. Peter never misses an opportunity to say, hey, you know the Jesus you rejected? God raised him from the dead. He's alive. You called for his death. God overturned what you wanted by raising him from the dead. It's by his name that that man is healed. It's by his name. And you can just imagine him kind of looking at the guy standing next to him who's now standing and saying, Jesus did that. You know the Jesus you rejected? That God raised from the dead? Jesus did that. That's by whose authority? Now, note the emphasis that he makes much of the crucifixion and resurrection. There's a lack of emphasis in ever telling them, listen, if you just say this prayer, you get to go to heaven right? You never hear them say that. You see, they have a very Christocentric or Christ-centered gospel. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose from the grave, right? The Jesus you rejected, God raised him from the dead. There's, this, no, there's not this trying to market it to people by like, hey, if you just go through the motions, like, you get to go to heaven forever. Now again, they led with, there is a resurrection of the dead, there will be a forever. And this is one outcome. And, and like we saw the last verse of what David read, 
And then there's also separation from God. But notice that they preach the gospel of Jesus. They're not trying to market it to people. They're not trying to sell you on the benefits of believing this. What they assume is if you believe this, this will change your life. If Jesus truly is alive, he's the only one, and we should figure out what he knows that we don't. That he can speak authoritatively about what comes next. Verse 11, Peter continues, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, meaning the Jewish nation, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. So what authority did you use to heal that man? The same authority that you need to be saved. Be saved from who you are. Be saved from sin. Be saved from this world. Be saved from being separate from God. Be saved from being separated from God forever. There's no other name. There's one name, Peter says. It's Jesus. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So why why do they tell us these are uneducated and common men? And when it says common, it's it's definitely not a, a positive, right? These are common men. These are academic elite looking down on uneducated, common men. But what they see in them is an authority and a boldness and a communication that they are giving that is drawing in a, a crowd, that people are listening and they're wrestling with, listen, these are uneducated common men, but we were already told earlier that Peter, filled by the Holy Spirit, begins to speak. We know why Peter is speaking uniquely. We know why Peter is speaking authoritatively. We know why Peter speaks and the man is healed. It's because Peter's been empowered by the Spirit. That Acts is reminding us over and over again, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of baptism is that not only are your sins forgiven, but you receive in a new way the Holy Spirit. That you become empowered for this life, whatever God is calling you to in this life. Whether he's calling you to be like Peter or he's calling you to be like somebody else, or he's just calling you to be you right here in your neighborhood, your school, your workplace, whatever it is, that there is power to live the life that you have been called to live. That power comes through the Spirit, not through education or status or anything else. You can't learn your way into it. And they're recognizing their lack of training and yet their abundance of authority and influence. In Matthew 10, it says this, when they deliver you over, this is Jesus speaking, do not be anxious about how you're to speak or what you're to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Here's what Jesus is teaching us. We're all called to share the message of Jesus. We're all called to answer for the joy that we have found. We're we're all called to answer for the hope that we have placed our lives, our trust, our faith in. We're all called to share that with other people. And why would we not? Something goes good in my life, I can't wait to tell Rob, right? I can't wait to tell Stephen. I can't wait to pass that on. It could be little. 
Why wouldn't I pass Jesus on to everyone who's been the greatest, most significant change in my life, in your lives? If Jesus isn't the most significant change in your life, I'd ask if Jesus has changed your life. Because if he has, he is the one most significant thing. Why would we hold that to ourselves? Why would we not want that for everyone? Why would we not share that at every opportunity? And when given opportunity, why would we not trust that, hey, listen, it's not about education, it's not about status, it's not about this, it's not about that. It's about the Spirit speaking through us in that moment. That that's the very promise of baptism, it's the very promise of Jesus. It's the very thing that we see repeated as Peter has these moments where crowds are listening to him, even though the religious elite and the educated and the others are pushing back, and yet he's the one standing there filled with God's Spirit. Verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Well, yeah, right? There he is. What do you say? Verse 15, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what should we do to these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name, meaning Jesus. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So they're like, hey, quit doing that. The guy we put to death, the you say is alive, you say healed that man, let's quit saying that. That's their message. You can see how their education is definitely propping them up right now, right? Not much to say. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Yeah, we're not going to stop. Like, I feel you, but no. I get this is bad for your reputation, but how can I not talk about the Jesus who lived and died and rose again? Like, how can I not share that the most significant thing in my life that changed my life, that changes everything, that changes you if you want to change you, right? The most significant thing in all of life. How am I going to not talk about that? And he says this, listen, whether what you're saying is right or wrong, that's between you and God. Clearly, I'm going to talk about Jesus. That's what they say. Like, you answer to God on that. I'm going to talk about Jesus. He says, and when they had thir- further threatened them, verse 21, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So he had spent his lifetime unable to walk, sick, right? And now is healed. And this is someone common. He would sit in front of the temple and beg, right? And now he's different. Like the story is that. And notice what Amaldi said last week, too. They're not worshiping Peter and John. They're worshiping God. They're giving praise to God, the very God that the Jewish religious leaders proclaim that they worship. That's who's getting the glory for this healing, and they're still pushing back. There's nothing they can do about it because the proof is literally standing in front of them. Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voice together to God and said, now I want you to hear this. 
So they go and gather with some other believers, probably in a home, it doesn't say, but they go and they gather together. Think your community group. They're released from being arrested. They go gather with other believers. They report what had happened, and then they begin to pray. And I want you to hear this prayer. Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. Verse 25. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, meaning Jesus. Verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. In other words, everyone was against Jesus. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They were against Jesus, but God, you were working out your plan. Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Did you hear that? What do they pray for? God, don't let this ever happen again. Nope. They pray for more boldness. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. It's this line. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. How many of you, if you were arrested for your faith, if you're being persecuted for your faith, would then ask, please, don't let me get arrested again. How many would pray that no matter what happens, I have the boldness and the opportunity to continue to preach Jesus? That's what they pray for. Hey, give me another opportunity to proclaim Jesus, and let me be bold enough, no matter the circumstances, no matter the outcome, let me have the boldness to do this. That's their prayer. That is so different than what we see in our world today. So we're going to put this on the screen. Where are we focused? When the kingdom, when, when we are kingdom focused, our prayers are about the work that Jesus gave us to do and not this life. Our focus, you and I, our focus on here and now hinders our focus on eternity. They were looking to the kingdom, not the here and now. So they're willing to endure, to suffer, to struggle, to be persecuted, and they're asking for opportunity to proclaim Jesus and the boldness. It doesn't take boldness if it's a welcoming community. It takes boldness when the community is against you or when the odds are against you that you might suffer. And so they pray for opportunity and boldness because their minds are fixed on what Jesus has called them to do, not on what might happen today. In Hebrews 12, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, here's what I want you to hear in that. We have the witness of Scripture. The folks in Acts that we're reading about right now, we have such a great cloud of witnesses around us. A history of people who have given their lives to serving, some who have given their lives because of their faith, but who have just lived a life that is so godly that we know that we have, we're surrounded by witnesses that we know did it right. It goes on and said, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So let us do what Jesus has called us to do. Let us get ourselves out of the way, our sin out of the way. Give us the endurance, because again, it's going to be hard. Let us do this, Right? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, a living Jesus who lived 
and suffered and died and rose again. Let us fix our eyes on him and his suffering, the suffering he endured for me, for you. Let us fix our eyes on that. Let that be our model. Let us fix our eyes and let us run with endurance the race set before us. In other words, let us do the job Jesus gave us to do, to be his witnesses in this world, to tell others about him, to give our li- actually give our lives, our daily lives to him, and to pass him on to others. We talk about our, our, our vision for generations. We talk about multiplying disciples, leaders, and churches. But more, we talk about passing on our faith to the next generation so they can worship Jesus better than we did. That our kids will do better than we did with their faith because we were the link in the chain that stands between those who handed off to us and us handing off to them. That we would not only grow this thing and send people out, but that we would hand off our faith intact better to the next generation. That's what our name is. That we just see ourselves as one link in the chain, but we want to hand off our faith better, more. Verse 31, and when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So what's the answer to the prayer they just prayed? And, yep. See, we could trade jobs. They pray. They don't pray that it won't happen again. Not not once. They pray for boldness. Foundations of the place they were in were shook. I don't even, and just don't pray for that, please, because I don't know what we would do. We'd lose our minds. Actually, we were in California. We just think it was another earthquake. But, right? (laughs) They're shook. Physically. And then empowered by the Holy Spirit. Right? Filled to go do more. Because that's actually their prayer. Hey, we want to go do more. Will you let us do more? Jesus, give us the strength to do more. Go do more. You like that? Yeah, it was good. All right. Listen, I am all jacked up on cold medicine right now. Nothing I say I should be accountable for. Verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common. We could spend a month on this verse that's repeated so many times in the book of Acts. Having everything in common, all things in common, the unity, the commonality that they had in this community. But here's the major idea. They were of one heart and soul. No one emphasized personal identity, but rather a corporate identity. They saw themselves as church first, individual second. Right? And I've been in trouble for saying this before. I'll say it again. I've spent most of my life in trouble. We're good. So they saw this family as forever and more important than even biological family. They love their biological family. They want their biological family in this family. But this family's forever. Crazy as we may be, we're in it together forever. They saw themselves as a corporate identity more than a personal identity. And they had all, all that they had, they shared with everyone. Now, I want to look at this verse again, and I want to look at these next few verses. I want to ask this question. Okay, so what did they do that was so different 
that gave them such a different outcome in a community, in a culture, in a world where they were actually persecuted and we have dropped the ball when we're not persecuted. What do they do so different? And yes, they saw themselves. They thought persecution was coming. We should hear that Jesus says it over and over again. It's not if, it's when. If you're living a life of faith, others will push at you for that. So we've got that already, but they lived in a different way. So I want to read this again. Verse 32, now a full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common. So if we were prepared to suffer or be persecuted or in our culture, let's just say be inconvenienced. If we were prepared to be inconvenienced for our faith, how would that change our community focus? See, their community looks more like an army platoon ready to go into battle together. The way they share their life together looks less like a Sunday morning worship gathering and more like a military platoon. For those of you who have been there, if you know, you know, right? You, when you trust the people around you with your life, and everything is about this community because the more the community is, the stronger we are, the more we can do that we're called to, we can achieve our mission, then the community is more important. So if somebody over here is hungry, we make sure they're filled up, they're, they're fed. If this person's in need or suffering or grieving or whatever, then we care for them because we're stronger together. They didn't see themselves as gathering on Sunday mornings. They saw themselves as a body that did life and battle and mission together. The empowered church, we'll put this up. The church we read about is more like an army platoon united together for battle, not a weekly Sunday worship community. Where have we lost our focus? Where has this become church rather than equipping for the week and a place where we can gather with other people on the same mission that we're on? Why we need to live differently, see ourselves as differently, see the people in the room and the ones we don't know, the ones that look different than us, as necessary in our lives, not optional. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus with great grace was upon them all. What's the main focus of their gospel? Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive, and that changes everything. So a living Jesus, we'll put this up. The apostles' gospel centered on a living Jesus, again, Christocentric, not about what man gains, anthropocentric. How is our gospel different, and at what cost? Are we trying to win people over to send them to heaven? Are we trying to tell them that there is a man who has overcome death? That Jesus has overcome Satan, sin, death, life, that he is our savior, that he rescues us from all that ails us, and there is a forever in him. Do we lean into the truth of who Jesus is? Or do we try and sell someone something? Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and, bought the pro with, and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Note the community focus and not the self or even the this life focus. And I'm going to say this for you. They had kids. They had goals for their kids too. Maybe they didn't have college tuitions to save for, but they had goals for their kids. They had dreams for their family. They had a legacy they wanted to leave but when they became Christians, 
the legacy of faith became more important. The community became more important. Leaving a financial legacy became less important. And making a dent for Jesus became the only thing that was important. Verse 35, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. If he was around today, she'd be getting a pie in the face. No, all right, so... They cared for their poor. They cared for those in need. We'll put this up. Acts tells us that no one went uncared for by the early church. When our focus is on ourselves, others notice. Jesus said that we would be known for our love. Well, here it is. John 13. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. They're going to know you're different by the way you love each other. He didn't even say, they'll know you're different by your love for the homeless or your love for the... He didn't say that. He said, they'll know how different you are by your love for one another, by the people in the room. You can't possibly love the local church in Uganda. You can love them theoretically, but you can't share life with them. But you can love, share life, forgive, submit to, have reverence to, encourage one another here. And he says, the world will know you're my disciples not by your American flag, not by your political party, not by any of these things, not by your stance on mass or no mass COVID vaccines or no COVID vaccines, by church in person, church, not that. They'll know you're my disciples by how you love each other inside the community of faith. And that's where we failed. That's where we dropped the ball as an American church. We were just as divided as everybody else because we were looking at now we weren't looking at Jesus. This community is transformed because their priorities are upended. Because they don't see this as that important. They see forever as forever and the goal. And they want as many people to know the truth about Jesus, to be transformed by Jesus, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit as possible. And so they had a singular message. Jesus is alive. And then they, they showed that message in the way they lived, and the way they lived among one another. And they lived so different that even when the leadership of the church was being arrested and persecuted, thousands were coming to faith because they loved one another, because they were unified, because they cared more about the person on that side of the room and that side of the room than they did about what's going to happen in 25 years if we even get there. And they had a singular purpose seeing the kingdom take root on earth. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. You came and lived a life you didn't deserve to have to live. You didn't deserve to have to put on flesh. You're God who created flesh. You came here because we couldn't do it without you. You came here because we are so separated from you by our own sin that we could never come back to you. So you came to us. You transformed our lives. You gave us the very spirit that raised you from the dead, that got you through life, that empowered you in your moment in the garden when you said, if there's any other way, but not my will, your will, God. You gave that spirit to put inside of all of us. 
as a promise, a guarantee to every believer who is baptized in you, you promised that. And then you said, just as I came to you, you go to others. Just like you left the comfort of the throne of heaven and came to earth, you sent us to the world we live in. And we're spoiled. And we don't have to go around the globe to find non-believers. We just have to go next door. Sometimes we don't even have to leave our own home. Help us to put you first, to lay down everything else, to set apart this short life that we live, and let us live it for you. Let us learn to see that the people in this room are far more valuable, far more important than we understand they are. That we need them, they need us. That we need one another, and that is your call on this community. Help us to learn even what that looks like. Because honestly, Jesus, it's foreign to us today. Help us learn, help us grow. It is by your grace that we are saved. So by your grace, let us love one another. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.